Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage as I continue a series on the 90th anniversary of broadcasting to mark the birthday of RTHK. Later in the programme, the former head of Radio 2 and later Deputy Director of Broadcasting, Raymond Mstek Fai, returns to talk about his friendship with two sadly missed canto-pop greats, Anita Moy and Leslie Jiang. And John Culkin talks about his varied career, often simultaneously working for several different stations. Among his jobs, John was a news anchor at TVB and also an early DJ at Commercial Radio. His former boss at Rediffusion Television, which later became ATV in 1982, was the renowned actor and director Cheung Chi Kok. He's back in Hong Kong currently from his home in New Zealand to stage a Cantonese version of The Glass Menagerie by Tennessee Williams at the Sunbeam Theatre at the end of this month. Cheung Chi Kok studied mass communication at Hong Kong Baptist College and starts this week's programme by telling me about his early role as Emperor Guangxu in a popular TVB series. It was purely by accident. I remember I was very actively involved in folk singing then. And then I think I won a title of some sort at the university then. And there was sort of like talent scouting for a young actor for the drama club of the university. In those days, you know, TVB was still at, uh, on broadcast drive. And then it was easy peasy, you know. I finished <laughs> some hours of studying, you know, hopped over to TVB then... It's just like a 10 minutes walking journey. So I was on call as a student actor, you know, like sometimes you've been called as a minor non-speaking role or occasionally I got some speaking lines to start with. But eventually, in a matter of like a year or so, they cast me in major roles, you know, on television, prime time. And that was still black and white. That was before... 1972, when they first started real local color productions. I was pre-color era. So tell me about some of those early productions. What role were you in? I was in all sorts. Some of them are like original script. But I remember I was in like Inspector General. I was in the translated version of Hello, Dolly. I think one of when I've read about you, one of your early roles for TVB was also was it an emperor? I was notoriously famous for <laughs> you know taking up emperor's role. My biggest breakthrough then as an actor it was a television series with forty fifty episodes, and in those days they were all thirty minutes half hour program. It was on prime time. It was on seven to seven thirty. It was named. Sorrows of the Forbidden City, something like that. And I was the emperor, the one that before Pui. Pui was the last one, and I was the one before Pui, also under the influence of Empress Dowager. And that was Emperor Guangxi. It was one of those epic romance behind the Forbidden Cities. In those days, it was considered as one of the biggest production of the year in mid-70s, 1975. All costumed, uh, very elaborate. It was a stunner, to be honest. In those days, it was the program to watch. So I was the biggest star in 1975, in that summer. Huge, huge. 
describe to me the studio. I mean, you would have had, you know, how was it done, you know, with an emperor's court or gardens or these, these were all stage sets in the studio? It wasn't as grand or as detailed or elaborate as today. There's no way you can compare it because the budget was small and everything was done inside the studio. There's hardly any outdoor shooting at all. So consider the size of uh, TVB Studios then. The Empress Court was like hardly anything grand, but they tried to make the best out of it. It was very basic, to be honest, but still it was considered like a cult, like a cult show. People still remember me now on the street, stop me and calling me, Hey, Emperor, Chikok. You know, my name is Chikok, Cheng Chikok, Cheng Chikok. They stopped me literally and asking for photograph or autograph or even a selfies. So you could just imagine, like, 1975 till now, 43 years ago, it, it is still big. People still remember. So you start as a young actor at TVB and, in fact, uh, become instantly very famous with this, as you say, high population watching what became a cult show. Those were the studio sets, so fairly basic in the early years. How was it filmed? Did you have one camera or more than one? And were they on wheels? or Right. That was pre-multi-camera era. The basic setup is three cameras, all on the pedestal, very heavy camera. And I remember that show, the producer, the boss then, Grandmaster Chong King Fai, he actually arranged the fourth camera, the handheld camera, to capture some of the interesting aspect of the show. I think there was a breakthrough, a complete breakthrough then. Interestingly enough, in those days, television drama, soap opera, so to speak, are all half hour per episode. It was back-to-back instant editing. The limitation was, for a 30-minute television show, drama, you can't have more than five or six little sets. You only have bedrooms or part of the chamber of the emperor's back garden or sections of it and they did instant editing instantly so a four hours studio booking from nine to one you have to finish a 23 minutes back-to-back full-on done version of an episode including opening credits including roller credits at the end it was interesting because you got to see the whole thing instantly you know that is extraordinary. And, and, and how often was it going out? 40 episodes. It was nightly. Really? So five nights a week would be two months. So you start out as this emperor, and you, so you maintain an acting career at TVB initially. Yes. But then later on, do you move to RTV? Yes, I did. Um, I did. I, I, a Chongqing Fai... Uh, was recru- was recruited by RTV to sort of like, you know, change his job. And subsequently, he asks us, like students, to follow suit. So I went along with a bunch of other producers and uh, actors and, and moved on to RTV. This is when I met uh, John Culkin. Yeah, we we became... Good mates, you know. Yeah, that was the second phase of my television career, yes. So what did you do at Rediffusion? 
I was initially appointed as a senior producer and subsequently executive producer. And then I moved on to be the assistant controller for the English Channel. And at that time, so when you're this executive producer, is that still very much in the arts and theatre or is that a wide range of programmes, including news? I supervised variety shows, soap operas and even infotainments, like some of the interview programmes. Tell me about the variety shows then. Was that, um, I mean, did you cross over with Robert Chua on EYT or separate? It, it did relate to, to uh, Robert Chua. Because Robert Chua left TVB then, and he established his own Robert Chua Productions, and he was commissioned, his company was commissioned to do weekly variety shows for RTV as a freelance producer. And I was cast as one of the hosts for his Saturday night uh, live uh, variety show. And I was one of the hosts, and then I sang. Oh, incidentally, when I was doing the Emperor series, all the songs and the theme song were sung by me, myself and Lisa Wang. She was the Empress. She was the concubine. So Lisa Wang started when I was a young actor. People would have had for RTV, Rita Vision, they'd have had to have a cable installed in their, in their accommodation. For free-to-air TVB, they would just go and buy a set. Mm-hmm. Is that how it went? And then they would have to pay for a licence? No. All you need is a set and an aerial. And that was pre-common communal aerial was introduced. <laughs> it was very funny. What a scene. When you walk down Hong Kong, every window there's an aerial sticking out. <laughs> Everywhere. Wan Chai, Chai Wan, Cosway Bay, Mong Kok, Chim Sa Choi. It was fun. <laughs> Literally, we call it Yukwat, fish skeleton, because it did resemble, you know, the remain of a fish. <laughs> so we can tell, oh, that household, they are watching TVB because there's a, there's a fish skeleton sticking off from the window. Cheng Chi Kok there, who I look forward to having back on Hong Kong Heritage to talk about his illustrious theatre career. With his smooth tones and a voice known as the Culkin, John Culkin came here as an 18-year-old and fell into the TV business. My father was in the military 
So in 1969, he came to Hong Kong. As an 18-year-old in England, I was just destined for the dole queue. So I had no choice, really, but to come with him to Hong Kong and the family. And I went to school because there was nothing else for me to do. So I went to St. George's, which was a military school. And, of course, uh, they'd already done the curriculum that I'd done in UK. So I was wasting my time. But I did get to know a, a trainee teacher there, Jeanne Cunningham. And she knew that I wanted to get into TV. And she knew the news editor at RTV at that time, Rediffusion Television, which was the major station in black and white. And she got in touch with him. His name was Rod Thurley. Uh, had a meeting. And the interview basically went like this. Uh, can you type? No. <laughs> Have you studied journalism? No. Do you think you can do it? Yes. So he started me on a salary of 800 Hong Kong dollars a month. RTV was strange at that time because it was uh, black and white. And also, it was uh, cable TV. It wasn't like uh, TVB is now like through the airwaves. It was cable TV. So it was the station for Europeans in Hong Kong. And their newsroom, all the newsreaders were army captains. It was really strange. They would come in and read in, in a terribly English sort of accent. It was very colonial. So I started there, and within one year, I was actually reading, because one of the newsreaders didn't turn up, and just where, by chance. And where was Rediffusion? Is in Broadcast Drive. They're all here. They were all in Broadcast <laughs> Drive. In fact, over the years, I've worked, I think I'm one of the few people who's worked at all of them, TVB, RTV, ATV, and Commercial Radio. <laughs> Strange. And RTHK. And RTHK, of course, I nearly <laughs> forgot. Oh, Radio Hong Kong, of course. In those days, In yes. Those days. Yes. Now, um, do you remember first going on TV? Yeah, I was very nervous. Uh, I'd been writing stories. I, I was so nervous that um, it made me even better, I think. It made me concentrate more. And I had long hair, so I, I was totally different to all these army captains who had been reading. And straight after the newscast, they got these phone calls from people saying how much better it was and to have a younger reader. So they, they put me on a, a permanent slot. So I became the, the newsreader in 1972. And at that time, can you remember any of the kind of stories that you were reading? The Vietnam War. That was the big thing at, at that time. But in reading the news then, there was no auto cue, And I had to be taught to read looking down, just moving your eyes and not your head. <laughs> it, it's the, the strangest thing, but it was great practice for the years to come. So you would actually read, but also make eye contact with the yes. camera? You, you would not move your head. You weren't allowed to. You should just move your eyes. And you had to read the line ahead, if you see what I mean. You're reading ahead. And once you get the knack of it, it's really, really easy to do. But And it looks much better. But as far as you were concerned, you were just talking to a camera? Yes. A red light would come on. There'd be uh, three cameras, three cameramen, and then they'd have what they, uh, the, the supers in the, in the corner. Two cameras on you, so a long shot and a shorter one. Now, when you were reading the news, how long was a bulletin? Half an hour. Oh, that's quite solid. Half an hour, and there's no recorded reports like they have now on, on video. It was literally all reading, and then you, you voiced over the actual film. So you were reading for 30 minutes. Three bulletins. Three, but there'd be uh, seven o'clock, then the nine thirty summary, and then the midnight news. So there's three bulletins a day. And then you just sort of go to bed about two, three in the morning. Yeah, but I, like I said, I worked at every station around Broadcast Drive. I was actually freelancing for RTHK or Radio Hong Kong at the weekends. 
when I had my time off at RTV. So I would come here and, and freelance at, at RTHK at the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you appeared on the front of a TV magazine. Mm. I got on the uh, TV Times. Uh, that was the local entertainment magazine. And they put me on the cover, I think, about 1974, 75. And I do have a copy of that. It's uh, it's it's a good laugh when you look at this. Julie Mullins, me, the weather girl, and Ralph Hurley. Yeah, long hair, everything. It looks it looks ridiculous now, but yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> Were you always studio based, or did you go out and do camera work on site? No, I also managed to get a ridiculous show called uh, Through the Looking Glass with Julie Mullins, and we got sponsorship by a guy called David Pettigrew who ran Westminster Travel at that time, an ex-army guy and he would sponsor us so we flew basically all around the world with a cameraman, a crew uh, we went everywhere, New Caledonia we went to Australia, we went um, Malaysia, Singapore all sponsored And Through the Looking Glass was what? A travel programme? or No we just made it a travel program <laughs> so we could get out of Hong Kong. But what was it? What was actually the remit? <laughs> the actual thing was like local activities, but we made it so that uh, <laughs> so that you could be or you could have a destination for local people to go to, and that's where Westminster Travel as the travel agent came in. When you start off at commercial radio, what in what sort of role? DJ. I was a disc jockey. In what year? That'd be 19... About 1970. I basically started off RTHK, commercial radio and RTV, all at the same time. The DJ must have been a whole different side of John Colkin. It was. I was never very good. I, I don't think so. But it opened other avenues because of the... Remember I mentioned the Vietnam War going on? Well, they had uh, rest and recreation in Hong Kong. So you had many nightclubs catering to the Americans coming over on rest and recreation from Vietnam, spending loads of money and enjoying two weeks as if it's the last day of their life. And for some of them, I suppose it was, you know, and you, you, you had these clubs and I got this gig at the Peninsula Hotel, in the basement of the Peninsula Hotel. And that started my outdoor DJing, if you like, club, club DJing. <laughs> As a DJ on commercial radio, what was your time? Were you an evening slot? or They gave me sponsored shows. I only had two or three. Uh, I remember one, Music from Mootries. And Mootries was a, a record outlet in Jim Sacho at that time. It was only a half-hour show. And then the rest of the time you'd be filling in for other DJs. And what kind of stuff? So if it's 1970, what were you playing? Bee Gees, stuff like that.
anything that came along. It was all records. And it was so much more difficult than today because you had to queue up the record, find the record from the record library. And it's all on computer now. You you don't have to leave your seat. <laughs> you know, so these guys coming in today and call themselves DJs, they 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 really don't know what it was all about, you know. <laughs> beats per minute, beats per second, how you could um, move a record into the other without actually people knowing that, that you you changed the, the song. That was the trick then. John Culkin there. John will be marking 50 years in the broadcasting business next year when I hope to sit down and chat with him again. Raymond M, the former head of RTHK's Radio 2 and a former deputy director of RTHK, would get to know some of the great canto-pop singers of the 1980s before they were famous. In the 80s, that was the golden age for Hong Kong, not only for radio. It's for radio, television, concerts, record industry, film, all the big stars came here almost every day and night. Yes, I can imagine that, um, you know, for me, it's it's sort of quite interesting because when I come into the studios now, OK, yes, I do the evening yeah, news yeah. programme in here, but I feel they're vaguely redundant. That's not quite what their initial um, role would have been. Regrettably, the 80s, in fact, really was our golden age. But you also had contests and singing contests or song awards. Yeah. Uh, I still remember in the early 80s, we were assigned by the then British government to do the district board singing contest. So in 1984, 1984 really, we organized this uh, 18-district board singing contest. I was the chief adjudicator. In the end of the day, it was the now very famous Jackie Cheung who won the contest. <laughs> and did, you, did you vote for him? <laughs> of course. <laughs> it, in the final, we've got only nine singers. And I still remember he was the fifth or sixth one to appear. So when he finished singing, I was telling myself, the other three need not sing. Oh, I hope you encouraged them. <laughs> <laughs> that was the truth. <laughs> And the next year, we the 18 district become 19 districts. So the next year, champion was Li Hakan, another very famous canto pop singer. Hakan Li. I feel really so good about how enjoying that uh, 80s canto pop era, which is not the Hong Kong influence. It's the greater China. 
but uh, also your wife it was a, a key yeah, yeah. radio two personality uh, <laughs> my wife blanche tang was the number one dj here in uh, rthk and she was hosting a very popular program in the 80s all the top stars came here to be interviewed late night anita mui leslie chung danny chan Jackie Chung, Alan Tam, all the big names voluntarily came here to be interviewed. And that show was a big, big success. Everybody listened to that show and did not go back, go to bed before that show ended. At, and uh, and what was your wife's, uh, what was Blanche Tang's? Blanche Tang. What was her show called? In Chinese, it's called if I really want to literally translate it, accompanying your night through songs. Now, when you and Blanche are in, in London at yeah. home, what kind of music do you like listening to? I... <laughs> you, you got the first uh, important question that I really want to answer. You know, when I went to the BBC for training in the 80s, I was listening only to BBC One, Two, and Capital Radio. This time round, I have been in, in London for three years, on and off, sometimes Capital Radio. No more with BBC. <laughs> Very seldom. And that's all. And why would you say that is? Because I, I, I'm in Uber every day. <laughs> the, the driver is, is my decision maker. <laughs> When you look back, at, when you were saying about the 80s, the canto pop era, so did you meet Anita Moy and Leslie Jang? Not only that. We have dinner once a month, even with Danny Chen. All the talents are not with us anymore. We were great, great friends. What was Anita Moy like? She is kind of couldn't care less lady. She is so talented. I was her adjudicator in the singing contest back in 1982. I only did three. One is Anita Mui, one is uh, Jackie Chan, one is Hakan Lee. We were great friends. Same like Leslie. He is so talented. So it's kind of an instinct that you happen to know these people. They are so great for Hong Kong, but they die so young. 
Yes, it's incredible. I mean, it's a 15 years since Leslie Jones died in 2003. And, and I think that there's still yeah, a yeah. sort of public like, outpouring. Like, like Danny, Danny Chen, all those are great talents in the singing industry for Hong Kong to date. Raymond Um there. Next week, I'll be hearing from some more radio personalities about the life of the first Chinese and first woman director of broadcasting and about how the Tiananmen massacre was covered and how there was this idea that RTHK should be corporatized. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>